What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Early Read Week 3 Review, Week 4 Preview with one of the best in the business at Franchise KF, the curator of BrandonChicken.com. Had a long conversation with Franchise talking what went right, what went wrong in Week 3 of the college football season, and then looked ahead to a monster of a slate talking some Clemson, Florida State, Alabama, Ole Miss, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and everything in between. Loaded show. A lot of bets given out. A lot of great conversations. So shout out again to Franchise for coming on. But before we get to the show, I want to tell you about our good friends over at Profit Exchange. Want to increase your betting bottom line by an easy 20%? Tired of paying the big to sportsbooks? Want the ability to request your own odds? I'm teaming up with my friends at Profit Exchange this college football season to help you out. Get the best odds in the world on all the college football games every week by betting against your peers. Join the thousands of users who have traded over $100 million to date and start winning more and losing less on every single bet. Sign up for Profit Exchange today and get a no-sweat first bet up to $100 when you sign up with the code EARLYREAD, E-A-R-L-Y-R-E-E-D, EARLYREAD. Available in the Apple and Google Play Store, must be 21 and present in New Jersey. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Early Read. I'm your host, Reed Wallach. Boy, do we have a show for you today. Going to review some week three stuff, talk about definitely to date the slate of the year, week four college football. And to do that, brought on one of the legends in the space. Uh, it's the curator, BrandonChicken.com at Franchise KF. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. How's it going? It's going good, Reed. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to. Um... To jump on i i found out about your podcast this summer and i'm grateful that i did and um i'm a weekly listener now so it's uh it's a pleasure to be on yeah i i hope you didn't listen to the thursday show because i definitely took it on the chin all thursday plays all losers <laughs> all, yeah definitely a reverse sweep there um you know there were some real bad beats we're gonna talk about it and not my guy of the week on what happened at nebraska Northern Illinois game, but uh, early read show plays now 11, 13, and one minus 3.5 units on the year. Got to pick it up. Got to pick it up. We brought on franchise to hopefully turn things around for us. Uh, but let's let's talk about kind of your background, kind of set the stage for the listeners. Uh, what's your background in the college football space, in the betting space in general? Yeah, so I've been doing this probably like a lot of us just started in college, didn't really know what I was doing. Just wanted some action, having some fun with the the fellas in college, and didn't really like um, losing. Um, I, I I kind of uh, I didn't have the money to lose, which wasn't fun. And I also just uh, am competitive, so I didn't like to lose. And so instead of just you know coming up with something, or you know we'd look at service plays and you know all all that stuff, I, I decided well maybe I should take some time and try to like figure this thing out for myself. Um, Best way I can say it is I've always liked puzzles, uh, just solving problems. And that's kind of how I look at the betting world. You're just trying to solve puzzles. And um, so then I started kind of taking things more seriously. I was bouncing around on a few different message boards before uh, the Twitter space. 
And uh, I was really fortunate that there were a lot of really sharp guys that I was able to identify, okay, these guys are winning. Um, a lot of them were willing to actually like outlay what their process is, how they handicap. So there were really a few really influential people um, that, that helped me out and uh, gave me kind of a foundation and a baseline for how to do this. And then I ended up um, being uh, for, it was a fairly short time, but there's a um, really well-known uh, handicapping service that I was an analyst for them uh, for a bit of time and uh, really learned a lot from them as well. And things kind of really took off. So, uh, you know, off and on, um, there have been some years over the past, you know, 15 years since I've been doing this more seriously, where I've sometimes taken off several seasons at a time just because of uh, life and other things like that. But just, you know, really kind of um, growing that that knowledge base that I mentioned, learning from a lot of guys who are really generous with their time. And so, you know, I've tried to sort of pay it forward from that standpoint um, of trying to give reasoning and methodology, whether it's, you know, talking to someone like you on the air or um, the website that I put together or doing different threads. So for me, that's really important. Um, I just think that, um, you know, generous people prosper. And so I think that if you can be generous, um, it kind of runs counterintuitive to, you know, what would be conventional wisdom in terms of like, hey, you're giving away edges, you know, because you don't know, mm. you don't know who's reading this. And I get that. And I understand that. But I think the principle uh, of being generous actually supersedes that. Um, and that's been my experience. So that's kind of how I um, sort of look at things and just kind of been, um, yeah, just kind of tailoring things and 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 using experiences from a lot of losses over the years and try to not lose in the same ways that I have uh, as much as I can. For sure. And why college football specifically? Is that like, that's kind of just what you gravitated towards? Is that you kind of messed around for a while and that's where you've kind of created your biggest edge? What drove you towards college football because if i'm not mistaken that's kind of your i don't know if you bet on other sports that's definitely your bread and butter college football yeah i don't i don't even hardly watch other sports um i i just have always been a college football fan now i'm married with young kids so i would watch mm -hmm. more sports if i uh <laughs> maybe had a little bit more margin uh but i think i you know i kind of have to pick and choose because i want to be a good husband and a good dad and all of those things so for me just college football is just it's my passion and and has been for a long time I went to the university of alabama and uh so it's a it's, it's a culture and a lifestyle there and so it's just kind of grown uh over the years but yeah i, I don't really um do anything with with any other sports Definitely. So there's some background there on franchise. Let's get into some week three recap stuff. We're going to do my guy, not my guy of the week, and then the extra point. I'll go first, my guy franchise. Let's talk Trent Dilfer here. I mean, what towards the end of the night, this UAB Louisiana game, rain delayed. It's ending 90 minutes after it was supposed to. They go down 41 to three, middle of the fourth quarter. I'm sitting on over 57 and a half. And I'm kind of doing the math in my head. I'm like, all right, we need like a few more garbage time scores. Maybe they go for it or do something stupid. UAB flies down the field. They start going for two. I, I don't really know why these coaches in such blowout situations are going for two, but such, such it is. Um, looking at the final bot score, they UAB scores twice in the final two minutes, final 410. They score, or they score three times in the final four minutes and 10 seconds, including forcing two turnovers, including on a kickoff, goes over every number, 41-21, despite missing two two-point two conversions. Trent Dilfer, this guy's an over-machine. He really has this team. They're not very good, but they're playing till the final whistle. They're playing really, really fast. 
And Jacob Zeno's arm is probably going to fall off because of how much they're passing. But shout out to Trent Dilfer. I don't think you're a very good coach, but you know, you're going over totals for me. So I appreciate you. Franchise, who's someone you want to shout out for last week uh, in the week three college football space? I'm going to shout out. Uh, I, I was with you uh, on that one as well. So yeah, double double the shout out for Dilfer. <laughs> Uh, wild box score i didn't even watch i still haven't even seen the highlights i don't i don't know yeah. if those are even available but i was just box score watching i was like oh my god like how did they get the ball back again yeah. with a minute 10 left yeah I, I i had already marked that one on the sheet uh <laughs> yellow to red uh so it was nice to flip that one green uh i'll give a, a, a my guy uh south carolina quarterback spencer rattler uh had him heavy in the prop market uh, i think he opened up the game against georgia eight for eight just cruising down the field with a um you know, super low number. So I'm going to give the shout out to, uh, to Rattler because man, they're asking a lot from him uh, this year. Uh, they just really, really can't run the ball. And that's going to be magnified against a, a, a team like Georgia. So shout out to, to Rattler for um, bringing home a big one in the prop market for me. That number got kind of close. It went over, but that number got like, he did he only finished with like 210, 220, right? Like that wasn't like, well, a, he, yeah, he, he ended up 256 at the end. Oh, okay. He, was, he ended up 256. Sitting, I mean, he was sitting like 140, 150 at the half on a 190, 200 number. Yeah. Uh, so it was feeling pretty good there. But then it just, I mean, a three and out, and they couldn't, yeah, you know, a few three and outs there. And George is just methodical with how they're moving the ball. It gave me a little bit of a heartburn, but it was uh, <laughs> ended up being a good one. Yeah. No, no juice wells now for South Carolina. That's a, uh tough pill to swallow for uh, the Gamecocks. Their offensive line still looks terrible. Uh, let's go not my guy. mentioned this earlier. Nebraska. Go up 35-3. Uh, about three minutes to go. Northern Illinois onto their backup quarterback. Uh, little old Ethan Hampton. I mean, Nebraska is absolutely destroying Northern Illinois. Allowed two yards per play before this drive. Allow them to go right down the field. I mean, this total bet at 46 on the show. Closed 41 and a half maybe. Uh, Northern Illinois scores with about like 10 seconds left. And then they go for two again, this like blowout two point conversion drill stuff ends up pushing this like great number I was able to get. And uh, yeah, that's just how this year's kind of, I guess like you got to trade off the Louisiana UABs for the Nebraska pushes, but uh, that one definitely hurt, especially simultaneously bonus. Not my guy. Uh, Lane Kiffin also uh, running up the score. And I don't know if that was going to be your, not my guy, but, those two happening within like a 10 minute span was a, uh, that was not fun and pleasant to sit through. <laughs> just watching the boxers go like, Oh my God, what just happened? Yeah. That was a big swing in the night, but uh franchise who's not your guy this for, for this week. I'll give, I'll give four quick ones and I'll just piggyback off, off what you said. <laughs> I actually, but yeah, I, I had to trim it down to four. I had about 35 that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> uh, I actually blame uh, Georgia Tech's coach Brent key uh, more than I blame Kiffin there. Uh, early in that game, if you remember, they faked a punt on their own 28. And uh, so turn it over there. I mean, they gave up 9.8 yards per play. Every time Ole Miss snapped it, it was a first down. Yep. And uh, so to, to, to have some of those blunders with the field position, and then you're giving up all these explosives, like multiple 68-yard touchdowns or something, I, I, I think, you know, just, just crazy stuff. And then, you know, for Brent Key to onside kick, uh, down, down eight scores. And uh, and then uh, I, I was laughing. Uh, some of the viewers will probably know the notorious Joey Kanish uh, described the um, the tackling effort as a, a Make a Wish Foundation touchdown. They like it literally looked like they were running away from. I was with a bunch of my buddies, a guys trip. You know, I had everyone on tech. 
And and we saw that one live. And I just I just said I you know, I'd take a little break, guys. I need to step I need to step out for a few minutes after that one. So Brent Key, not my guy. Some quick other ones: Davis Brin, Georgia Southern, six total turnovers uh, at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brutal. I mean, I think it closed twenty one or twenty one and a half, and that's what it fell as twenty one. I had an early number, but minus six in turnovers. If he turns the ball over three times instead of six, we might have a Georgia Southern outright. Uh, I, I'm a Wisconsin grad, so I was yeah. watching. I had my eye on the screen. I was like, and I like Georgia Southern. I think yeah. that they're one of the better Sunbelt teams this year. But I was watching. I was like, hey, this is this is where Fickle already kind of running sour in Madison if this one goes awry. But uh, Davis Brin couldn't couldn't find the right team on a Saturday. I mean, they had they had. Uh, 12 non-garbage time possessions and 10 of them crossed midfield and they scored what 21 14 14, 14. 14 for, yeah yeah I wish that's crazy yeah so I mean, <laughs> you think about it, they, they they literally they punted twice in the game once was with the backup quarterback and once was earlier in the game so i mean that 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 could have gone a whole different way so uh davis brin uh not good uh i guess a segue into this would be uh at one point, I asked a bunch of my buddies. We were uh, all Alabama guys. I said, "Would you guys take Davis Brin over Tyler Buckner uh, right now for for Alabama?" And uh, yeah. the consensus was yes, even after his six turnover game. So Tyler <laughs> Buckner would be a not my guy. That was a that was a rough rough showing uh, for him. What what else you got? Last one, Vanderbilt. Man, I had. Uh, Cash the over on that one, missed the side, but more importantly, I had them over three and a half wins. They had to have the Mountain West wins, uh, sitting three mm-hmm. and one, and then just hope to steal one. So to, to lose one in UNLV, um, two and two, I'm probably dead to rights now. So that one hurt on multiple levels. So I'll, I'll stop airing my grievances, but I, I could go on and on. Yeah, I, I think not my guy is much more fun than my guy because you got to yeah. talk about all the painful ones and all the annoying things that happened. Like, you, forget the good ones. Forget that Trent Dilfer, like, did this crazy yep. three touchdowns in four minutes. Screw that. Let's just talk about all these guys, all these other teams and players that screwed us over. Yeah, um, Vandy, definitely need that one because the defense looks far, far worse than expected. And in the SEC, I think it might be a down year, and we're probably going to get into that when we preview the games, but – might be a down year, so maybe they scoop one out. Um, definitely need uh, Swan healthy, though. I think I, he left, came back in. I think I saw he's fine, or maybe he'll miss like this week or something. But um, yeah, that was a tough one for him. But one of the crazier games of the day, like snuck away on, I think it was CBS Sports Network. Yeah, that was tough, especially because UNLV had their backup quarterback in mm-hmm. for most of the game as well. And I mean, I didn't see much of that game. I was just kind of box score watching, but it looks like he played pretty well. But I think that you almost sort of have to play well against Vanderbilt's defense right now just by default. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, extra point time. I watched most of the Florida-Tennessee game. I, I think that loss is more on Tennessee and what they are with Joe Milton rather than Graham Mertz and Florida being back or something. Uh, Eugene Wilson, he's going to be out uh, for a little bit of time. They still allowed nine tackles for loss. This Florida offensive line, I don't really see them outperforming against sturdy SEC defenses. Maybe they could win ugly, but I mean, a lot of that second quarter really flipped in Florida's favor. There was the uh, big turnover return. Uh, I want to say it was a special teams blunder for Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee really put themselves behind the sticks, and this was the concern with Joe Milton. Can he lead them on the road and, you know, get wins and put the ball downfield. He ended up putting up a nice stat line, but negative game script most of the game. Florida, I mean, again, I went to Wisconsin, so I'm familiar with how bad Graham Mertz is. This wasn't one where I was like, like I saw Florida, not that AP polls are like all anything special, but 
they're getting like a big boost for this win against Tennessee. And I bet Florida, but I didn't walk away like, yeah, like Florida's trending up now. They're going to like lock bowl, lock, you know, contender in the SEC or, you know, fringe contender in the SEC. This is still a team to me, bottom half of the SEC. Um, That was more of an indictment on Tennessee, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I think Florida's maybe been a little bit better than what I expected because I actually had um, pretty low expectations. I do think there were some, you know, like you mentioned in that game, there was some weird stuff that that happened. And I think that the key for them is just going to be able to run the football. And I actually didn't think they were going to be able to do that all that well. But I know um, I watched it sort of off and on. Um, but uh, I know ETN busted at least one long one. I mean, they're going to have to get some stuff like that because if you've got a tough offensive line, you don't necessarily want to rely on Graham Mertz to throw his way through games. But um, if some of those backs can can bust some long ones, they can kind of um, you know cover a, a poor performance of an offensive line. You just got to have those huge chunks that end in seven. Yeah, hundred percent. Any other takeaways? Uh, from Saturday or just week three in general that uh, you're taking with you? Could be big, small, anything random, anything in between. No, I, I don't, I don't think uh, not, not a whole lot. I, I, I guess we can get into it in a little bit, but I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with you about the quality of the SEC. I think this is probably the most down year in the conference, um, at least through the first quarter of the season that I've seen in many, many years. Yeah. Quarterback play really is, I think the biggest issue. I, I think you're seeing and you're seeing it cross conference, um, you know, when LSU goes to play Florida State quarterback play isn't up to snuff. You're seeing the SEC really struggle and especially these marquee showcase games. Just the quarterback play is not at the level you would hope Texas, Alabama, obviously. Uh, so we'll see. I, I mean, we got a few SEC teams on the card here that we're going to get into as we start our week four preview. We're going to start on the ACC, though. I put this one down first. Florida State Clemson. Clemson obviously loses week one. Florida State avoids a scare in the red bandana game. One of the more straight, it was definitely one of the stranger viewing experiences watching Florida State just sleepwalk through the game. Could be a classic look ahead spot. Uh, Thomas Castellanos, uh, BC quarterback, a little bit of juice there. Not a great passer, but I, he was running around. Uh, he was really bad at UCF last year, but it seems like he's kind of figured some stuff out. So, uh, BC nearly knocks off Florida State, had a chance to. Uh, to win the game, honestly. Um, Florida State escapes. Line now, FSU minus two and a half, total of 56 franchise. Any looks on this game? Any thoughts um, on this? I mean, this is kind of it for Clemson. Clemson needs this one if they want to stay in the ACC race, obviously losing to Duke. Florida State win this one pretty much inside track to college football playoff, I would say. Obviously, upsets happen and you could get knocked off, but... This is the big one. This is kind of a fork on the road for both teams. How do you see it? I, I haven't I haven't taken anything uh, on this one. Uh, I may get involved at some point because I'll be watching. I may kind of look to the prop market uh, on that mm-hmm. one because that's uh, a portion of what I do. But yeah, I, I I think to me the the numbers seem pretty pretty close to right. Um, I I think that sometimes in these big games I sort of have a little bit of uh I generally want to like the under if that makes sense um not because it's a more uh pleasurable viewing experience but just because I think that it's um you know sometimes when you get these heavyweights um with with the defensive talent that both teams have it can kind of play out that way um, more cautious too like 
coaches kind of want to keep it close to the vest early. Don't want to like make the first mistake or fire the first shot across. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the, the, the fourth and five on your own 45, you're more likely to punt than you are, you know, against Southern Miss. Hey, let's run the offense, you know, against yeah. Charleston Southern. No, we're, we're going for it. You, you established your identity in these ways. So I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have, have strong takes on it. I mean, uh, up until that game last week for for Florida State, I mean they they certainly looked the part, um, uh, especially the way that they played against LSU. Even though I think that box was a little bit um, deceptive uh, when you really look at you know what the final margin ended up being, but it, I, I'm also having a little bit of a hard time just buying into Clemson, and and I don't think it's um, I don't think my issue is with their defense. Uh, I still have pretty high confidence about their ability to play defense. They just have so many guys. Uh, all around, but um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I'm not ready to say emphatically that that Klubnik isn't um, going to be a great college quarterback. But I, I certainly haven't seen anything to date that leads me to believe that he's on the plane of a Deshaun Watson or a Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence. Where you know you go back and look at those years when they were playing, and that you know the most difficult ma- throw um, to make in uh, as a college quarterback or probably quarterback at any level would be that intermediate intermediate out route to the sideline, you know, that far hash throw. Yeah. It's so hard. Or the ball's just like sailing. It's timing because you're you're letting it go before he even cuts. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong there. I mean, you you have to have a high confidence in that. And I look back and I mean Trevor Lawrence, that he he made that throw so often and so, so difficult to defend because that DB's thinking, is this a vert? You know, I, I mean yeah. you, you got to protect against that and then all of a sudden you cut it off and that's 15, 20, whenever you want it. I mean, that's um, that's a good way to, to, to move the chains. I just don't know that I have seen enough from him to believe that he can make those types of throws, nor do I really know, does, is Riley going to ask him? Because the reality is it is a little bit of a different um, offense. So I, I'm i d- definitely a, a litmus test game uh, for both, which feels like a, a bit of an undersell. But I, I, I'm kind of looking at this more as um, – as a fan, I'm really looking forward to watching, and I think it's going to be an additional data point for both of them. But I'm not sure I have too much to add beyond that, other than um, we'll we'll see. I feel more confident in in Florida State's team. I think they're a better team uh-huh. to what they've shown. I do know that uh, Travis got a little bit beat up in the Red Bandana game, so he's at a minimum going to be playing pretty sore this week, which is another interesting factor. Yeah, uh, it was a weird game. I mean, I watched pretty much the entire Florida State BC game. Travis only passed for 200 yards. Keon Coleman, I believe, didn't record a catch, or if he did, it was early and it, it was a non descriptive catch. I did not see him on the field even. It was more Wilson. Um, as someone who was big on Clemson heading into the year, I think I have to admit that I was dead wrong and this team probably isn't that. It's probably why I'm not as eager to jump in on this game because I still have some Clemson ACC futures. And, you know, you win this game, you're right back in play. And, you know, the season turns around. Doing some work on this game, you know, Klubnik the first two games. And it's tough to get like a real sense because they play at Duke, then they play Charleston Southern, and then they play Florida Atlantic. I mean, they have the two defensive scores against Charleston Southern. And then, you know, Clemson's now on like a 114 to 14 run against two crappy teams. Last week, Klubnik's eight out was up to around nine after, you know, around five yards per target the first two games. So maybe this downfield Riley attack is starting to pick up a little bit more and Klubnik's starting to push it down the field. Uh, Clemson's offensive line has held up pretty nice. Only four sacks allowed. And maybe Klubnik uses his legs a little bit more to start, you know, loosening up this FSU defense that 
mean, Jaden Daniels was able to rip off a few plays. Um, obviously, Castellanos, I believe, rushed for over 100 yards against Florida State. I, I don't know if I trust Clemson enough to go over. I wrote down over with pro- – the more I thought about this game was, all right, if FSU is going to be able to test this Clemson secondary and put some scoreboard pressure – I think Clemson's going to be able to score a bit against FSU. I think FSU's defense might be a little overrated. I don't know if – I don't want to say they're – I just don't know if they're elite elite, whereas Clemson's defense, I think he's elite, but they're going up against, you know, arguably the best passing attack in the country in Florida State. So there are a lot of moving pieces, and I still have some questions. That's probably why it's a pass for me, but I'm really interested to see because I, I just think – Clemson secondary is better than LSU's and maybe Clemson could get the stops that LSU couldn't. And hopefully they could execute in the red zone like LSU couldn't to get this win at home. You know, you go back to last year and Clemson went up 31, 14 on FSU. And I know the scoreboard, I I think it finished like 34, 28 or something, 31, 28 in Tallahassee, but Clemson was in control of that game. How much is different now? And can this club to me, it's if Garrett Riley's offense can click in this game, I think Clemson's the side. No, I think I think those are all uh, really good points. Um, I just I, I it's it's dangerous to ask a team to go into an environment uh, like that uh, at Clemson because it will be it will be an extremely difficult place to play. And I also agree with what you said regarding um, LSU's um, secondary versus Clemson's. And I think the bugaboo for LSU not to get too far off tangent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, going back to last year, it's the big plays they give up. And so, I mean, those just, I mean, explosive plays just, they're, they, they, they dictate a game so significantly. And uh, if Clemson's not giving those up um, it, it, and they're making them earn it a little bit more, because the, honestly, the run game for Florida State, mm, I mean, not quite what I uh, expected um, so far. I mean, especially if you look against LSU, just, I mean, now they they clearly sold out on the run. They weren't going to let Benson beat them and they gave up more plays on the back end. So maybe it is a pick your poison and they are that dangerous and they'll just be able to do one or the other. But um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think it's intriguing. I just think it's the, it's a, it's a game that every football fan, you know, wants to watch games like this. This is definitely a big one. Again, I'm not sure I'm going to have any action on it. I'm still kind of sifting through it. again. Cause I have this Clemson future stuff and this is kind of it for me. So I'm not, maybe that's why I'm like a little gun shy to get as involved because I got to see it. And again, though, I I think like, I agree, Florida state small favorite, but again, Clemson's defense, but like if Clemson could just hand the ball off in the red zone against Duke, is this line far off? Like it's probably Clemson back, you know, probably Clemson minus two and a half, you know, so it's more is Clemson. Did they treat this game as, like, did they treat the Duke game as, all right, we really just don't have it? Or minor setback, we had some shit go against us, and, you know, we need to now kind of push the ball down the field more. We need to get Club Knicks average at the target up. We got to start making more explosives because, to me, FSU's probably going to have their handful of explosive plays. There's just simply too much talent. It's can Clemson find the explosive plays downfield because against Duke, I believe they had like a they had one play over 15, 20 yards. That was it. So when you're doing that, you put that much more pressure to execute, to you know, make the right read with a, you know, basically a first year starter. Um, and that's where Clemson went wrong. They lost kind of on the little stuff and the ticky tack stuff rather than the explosive plays. So I, I think it's a really interesting game, like you said. 
and it's a fork in the road for both teams. Me, still no play on it for me. I, I think this is again, kind of have to wait and see. Yeah, I I agree there, and I think the other the other point to kind of reiterate what you said about the explosive plays is the other thing Clemson's had pretty consistently, really up until the last few years. Um, they've had some legit alpha wide receivers, you know, and um, and I like Antonio Williams. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't think he's going to turn into DeAndre Hopkins, uh, you know, in terms of look, the full career arc. Uh, I don't think anyone would would say that. But I think that, you know, just a little bit, a little bit down. ACC talent has improved uh, across the board, um, which I think kind of uh, has slowed their run uh, a little bit in recent years. And then just really, you know, quarterback and, and and wide receiver, we haven't seen, you know, the best players in college football, which they've had for a long time. They've they've typically had one of those wide receivers and one of those quarterbacks who were the best at some of their respective positions. And I, I don't, I haven't seen that uh, from them in terms of them having either of those guys. Yeah. And if you have any player prop thoughts on any of these games, feel free to shout them out. I know numbers aren't going to be available yet, but like anything that like kind of you're eyeing. I mean, like, again, like Klubnik rush yards, if that's low, Clemson's offensive line has held up pretty nicely. Only four sacks allowed through three games. Maybe it's, you know, more designed quarterback runs, RPOs, where Klubnik's kind of just keeping it and, you know, rushing 15, 20 yards, hopefully, you know, yeah. to, you know, get the team ahead of schedule. Let's keep moving though. Alabama Ole Miss. Alabama sitting around a seven point favorite. This is down that up for obvious reasons. Total has ticked up. Um, from around an opener of 54 and a half, I believe it was, it's up to 57 at some shops as of this ride, as of this recording, Jalen Milrow going to start Nick Saban announced that one. I thought it was strange that they benched him. To be honest, I thought that their highest ceiling is with Milrow at quarterback. It's more a matter of can Tommy Reese call the offense to a player of Milrow's liking, which I don't think he did in Texas. I think he kind of put Milrow in a shitty position and that's part of the reason why they lost. It just wasn't a good offensive game plan. They, uh, Bama struggles against South Florida, 17-3. Ty Buckner sucks. Uh, Ty Simpson doesn't do much better. Bama's limping into this one. I saw players only meeting. You got Lane talking about, like, we don't think the D.C.'s really the D.C. anymore. We think he got demoted. Um, obviously, Ole Miss, frenetic offense. Jackson Dart looks to really be in control of this offense, and that's with – uh, Zachary Franklin, highly touted transfer from UTSA. He hasn't played. Trey Harris has been banged up. Quinshawn Judkins has been banged up, but don't sleep on Ulysses Bentley, former uh, transfer. He's a stud too. So his Ole Miss team has looked really good so far. Obviously not the toughest competition. This is a step up. Lane, all about this game, wants to beat his former boss. Um, last year's game, very competitive. Struggled in the second half, Ole Miss. Uh, eventually they lose at home 30-24. But outgained Alabama, I think they put a pretty good accounting of themselves in that game. Franchise, how do you see this one playing out again? Alabama, seven-point favorite, total now 57. Yeah, I took I took an early 55-and-a-half under uh, on this one. And for me, part of that was, was speculative. Um, I'll give you my two cents on the Milrow situation. Um, I've heard from a few people, and I, I do have some pretty good connections there, that um, what happened last week was – Beginning of the practice week, Saban went to Milrow and said, you and Buckner are going to be splitting first team reps in practice. And from my understanding, Milrow didn't handle that news like a man and was in the doghouse for his response to Coach Saban. And I think it pretty much turned into 
Okay, that's how you're going to behave. QB three, and uh, so I think that that um, that would make sense. I, I maybe even not a a real suspension given, but uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, yeah. somewhat of a one game suspension because you can't watch that game that was really in doubt of Alabama losing the game outright to South Florida. I mean, that was a very, very real possibility. Uh, you, you, you can't watch a, uh, a game like that and think like, okay, we're not at least going to go to Milrow. And, and this is sort of what I expected just in knowing the quarterback room. Like I, I didn't expect it to be as bad as when either of those guys got their shot. Um, but I mean, all things considered, yes, Milrow made some really bad, uh, mistakes against Texas, but you look at some of the good plays he made against a team like Texas versus what we saw, I, which I still can't even wrap my mind around. I think it was the the lowest uh, point output for an Alabama team against an unranked opponent since 2014. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about nine years of football the offense hasn't looked that bad. And I would argue, I believe that was against like Arkansas. It was like 14, 13, if memory serves. Like that's at least an SEC opponent. I mean, this is a team yeah. that gave up 25 to Florida A&M and 40-something to to Western Carolina. This is not a team that's going to be known for their defense. And um, the other thing I would say, and, and this is really, hopefully not many of my uh, of your listeners are, are Alabama fans or from the state, you get in trouble with this, but you, 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 and you just can't, I can't get into the nuances. You, you can't speak ill of Saban like at all. Of like, course. That's, that's not allowed. That said, I'm, I'm, I'm a rule breaker. And um, <laughs> the, the, the reality is at least for, we'll just, we'll just call it last year and this year, he hasn't coached well. I mean, I, I, I would say as much as anything, I mean, he's done some things that have hurt the team. Um, not, not, not even just like, Hey, here's a guy that you are relying on his edge to, help to win you games. I mean, he's put the team in some really poor positions uh, in a lot of ways, in-game management, uh, roster management. Um, Bama's starting a, a freshman left tackle. They're starting a freshman safety. These are all things that, that, to me, that would speak more to the roster construction. I mean, yeah, probably these guys are going to end up being NFL guys and especially <laughs> safety, you know, but I mean, it's that that's that's tough for, for anybody. So I, I, I would say that... Um, Alabama was badly, badly outcoached uh, on Saturday, badly um, against the first time coach, you know, third, third time ever, ever doing it. And I mean, it was a, it was a 10, seven boxing round in terms of, of the, the, the coaching that happened in that game. So um, I, I think that Alabama's offense will be better with Milrow. Uh, as you said, I do think they need to get Tommy Reese to do some things that work well for him. Um I think Alabama's biggest uh, issue right now is the offensive line. Uh, they are absolutely terrible. And I'm so tired of hearing on broadcast, this is the largest offensive line ever. They got three guys over 350. They're bigger than an NFL team. Well, I don't know. Maybe you, use your own life. Like when you've been the heaviest in your life, has that necessarily meant you've been the fittest of your life? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's not my, <laughs> that's not my example. And that's kind of a little bit of a silly uh, analogy because these guys are um, you know, probably pretty low body fat, 350 and pretty strong. So, but I mean, I, I just, I, I'm like, I don't care how big they are, you know, I mean, maybe be 310 and let, let's see if you can play because it, it has been, the offensive line play has been really, really bad to start the season. I, I think the offensive line was really bad last year too, but Bryce Young bailed them out. 
I, I think, you know, this was, this has been an ongoing trend for Alabama. Now you're seeing what happens when you don't have a Heisman trophy, number one, pick a quarterback to mask some of the flaws that your offensive line has. So I completely agree with you. I'm not sure I'm there with why the over went through 55 key number. Um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I got some Ole Miss with the hook, like early pre-market. I think now I'm going to come back in on the under because I do think Alabama's path to whatever their achievement is this season, if it's, you know, make the college football playoff, make the SEC championship game, make the Sugar Bowl or whatever it is. To me, it has to be play some keep away, grind games to a halt, you know, some quarterback design runs and just lean on the run game and then hope you could scheme up a few. I mean, Milrow has a big army showcased it against Texas. I think for three quarters of that game, Alabama was sticking to the script that they need to, to win the high level games, grind teams out, bend, but don't break, try and play some keep away, have some timely, you know, drives, first down runs, big plays. And then hopefully Milrow could hit a few plays, obviously has an untimely interception. And then Quinn Ewers gets hot, but it's 13, nine late third quarter. Then Milrow hits the big pass. They're winning. I think after three quarters or right around the fourth quarter and the game was there for them. So I think the path is there. It's more a matter of, is this team bought in enough and is the team kind of coherent at quarterback and in the room and situationally to take advantage of that. So I don't know if it's there. I just think I trust Alabama's defense to keep a lid on Ole Miss's defense. Unlike like, for example, Georgia tech, but I think Ole Miss's defense is live to really wreak some havoc against Alabama. I mean, Alabama, 12 sacks allowed through three games. Texas really showed the discrepancy between both sides of the trenches in that game. I think, you know, I took the under in the Texas game, under 55 and a half. I'm going to take the under here. I think Lane wants this one and he's going to play fast and stuff, but I don't know if this is going to be some shootout. Last year's game got to 54 points, but both teams below average yards per play output. Wednesday was like a high octane offensive game. It was more of a defensive struggle in that game. I think you're going to see that yet again. I, I think under definitely above 57 is the look here, especially with Milrow at quarterback. They're going to try and keep this one on the ground. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think the other interesting piece of this, so you have two former assistants now for Ole Miss. You have Kiffin and then you have Pete Golding, uh, who came over from Alabama as kind of somewhat of a maligned defensive coordinator uh, under Saban. I was never personally a big fan of his. Um, so I was actually glad that both coordinators um, kind of saw them way, saw their ways out uh, after last season. But I do think that Golding uh, also, I think something that plays in favor of Ole Miss and the under would be that Golding has seen Milrow because Milrow has been in the program for a long time. Mm -hmm. So he's seen him running scout team. He probably simulated some of the Ole Miss guys and, and former, um, you know, practices and things like that. I think that he would probably have a greater level of understanding and wisdom about what are Milrow's strengths and weaknesses and then therefore how do they defend him. So, I mean, I think it comes down to the Texas game, um, like the Texas game where it's it's going to be big play. I mean, such as every football game when you really boil it down to like who's going to hit the shot play? Are you going to are you going to catch the touchdown? Are you going to drop it? That's going to impact spreads, totals every game. I mean, that's the reality of the the razor thin margins of of the uh -huh. game that, that we cho choose to try to prognosticate. But um, I, I think that. Down to down, I don't know how much success Ole Miss is going to have. Are they going to pick on Caleb Downs and take some shots up there? Um, I don't think there's really any concern about Jackson Dart running for 100-something yards like he did. You know, I think he had a 68-yarder last week against Georgia Tech. I mean, this is going to be 
a significant test. Uh, and even against a team like Tulane, I didn't think their offense was great by any means. Yeah. I mean, they got, I mean, 30 probably would have been fortunate. I know they ended up 37, but um, yeah, I just, it, it could go either way. It's it's the, similar to how I felt. I had the under as well. I had a really good number, so I didn't lose on it. Um, on the um, Texas, uh, Alabama, I pushed that one at 58. But um, I, I kind of feel similarly, like, hey, if you hit the deep shots and you, and, and you get me, so be it. But that game very well could have stayed under as well. You just, the big plays that went against you, the, the untimely turnover, the big play uh, happened and it just, it led to points and, and not the inverse. But the other thing about a nice under with Kiffin is he's going to roll the dice so much on fourth down. You just have to hope that that variance falls in your favor as well, because it, it um, if you have a game where he fails a bunch of fourth downs instead of kicking field goals, you feel great on an under, especially when they used to price things, things up in the sixties and seventies uh, a few yeah. years ago. I, I fell on the right side of several of his. Yeah. Um, like I said, 12 sacks allowed um, for Alabama through three games. Ole Miss, some injury notes. I It doesn't seem like Zachary Franklin's coming back anytime soon. Last week, non-contact. Uh, it do, Kiffin said yesterday, this is a quote from him, Ole Miss football wide receiver Trey Harrison, tight end Caden Crestcorn were both, quote, out there at practice. So, Seems like both guys are trending in the right direction. Judkins was limited last week. The hope is he will be fine. But like I said, I think Bentley, not that he's as talented as Judkins, but he's pretty formidable at running back. So um, definitely, you know, jumping in on the under, just given how this game state probably is. And, you know, I think Ole Miss at even a touchdown. Um, I, I think, you know, they're they're live for sure in this game. I think that this is going to be another tight game. You know, I don't know if Alabama is really built to win with margin here, uh, but we shall see. Another, I mean, this is like an absolutely loaded slate. I mean, third up, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Um, McCord gets let loose, and, uh, you know, he's the number one quarterback, gets let loose against Western Kentucky, playing a much different test now at Notre Dame. Ohio State sitting as a three-and-a-half-point favorite total, 54-and-a-half, 55-ish. Um, franchise, how do you see this one going? Lotta, I, I think questions for both teams and how legitimate either side is. Uh, heading into this one any you know strong opinions any thoughts on this one yeah i actually think notre dame um i i think it's 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 fair to say notre dame's schedule hasn't been as impressive as ohio state's not that ohio state like has a great win uh on their mm -hmm. resume yet but um you know i th i think we know a little bit more about notre dame's offense uh at a minimum um i, I think it's no surprise to anyone listening like obviously the the upgrade with hartman uh, at quarterback, you know, significantly raises the team's uh, floor and ceiling. I'm still not sold on um, on McCord. Um, I, I still don't think that we know a ton about him, and I think this will be a a very legitimate test. Um, the the thing that I, that I've uh, my preseason read on Notre Dame was I thought that they if they were going to struggle on defense, it was going to be across their defensive line. Um, I feel like Ohio State's usage of the run game to this point has been a little bit weird. I mean, they're just rotating a lot of guys, which I don't think is inherently wrong. And I get it. You know, you have a lot of talented guys, get them the ball. Um, I don't know how good their rush offense is, which I think is a key factor here. And I don't know that anyone has really challenged Notre Dame along that defensive front. So I think to me, that's sort of a key to see how that plays out. Um, I don't I don't have a, a position on this game 
um, either. Unfortunately, I, I, I wish I did because I'm sure people listening would like for us to have uh, <laughs> strong takes, but maybe we can just kind of talk about our thoughts on it. But yeah, I, I think that, um, and this is probably the first time this has ever been said in, in world history that, you know, Notre Dame has a pretty significant uh, quarterback edge over Ohio State. Uh, I don't yeah. think that that um, really has probably ever uh, been been the case. Um, but I, I think that the 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 scary thing with with backing you know Notre Dame versus uh, Ohio State is um just the 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 wide receivers that Ohio State has McCord doesn't have to be great um if he can just get the ball in his guys hands just deliver the ball they can do a whole lot and Notre Dame has gotten some good production out of their pass catchers I still think it's a credit to Hartman that they've been doing as well as they have, but I, I don't, I don't think they have a dude in that room necessarily. So you're going to be talking about a, a, a pretty significant jump up here. I mean, North Carolina state obviously was um, uh, traditionally a formidable defense. And I do think they're probably not as good as they have been, but what, what did they end up with? Like 45 in that game, 45, 24. Yeah, that game got weird with the yeah. rain delay and stuff. There was a lot of like weird stuff. I want to say it was like, 45 was it 40 something to like 17 40 something and 20 yeah i could pull it up while you're talking but well, that well, game got like way sideways yeah and and i've i've followed i follow north carolina state football pretty pretty closely and that that defense just doesn't give up 30 plus points i mean year over year they don't they don't give up 30 plus points and so the fact that Notre Dame scored 45. I mean, I think it was the first time they they allowed an opponent to score uh, 30 or 31 or more in like 16 or 17 games. It just isn't something that's common. And so that really sort of got my attention in terms of like Notre Dame's play style is weird because they're like wanting to move super slowly. Like their their yep. plays, the, the 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 games that they're playing, you know, the the overall snap count is extremely reduced but they've been so explosive and so efficient with what they're doing with just like long scores. And again, that could be competition level, but um, it's, it, it's just hard to get a read. I think from a total standpoint from that, because they're, they are making this big jump up and, and I can't get the game, the, the, the game from last year out of my mind when, you know, Freeman just turtled. I mean, that's, that's, that's the total definition of a turtle. And it was just like, Hey, we're playing to, not get blown out here yeah and so i get it i believe that was his first game as a head coach he was i mean i think it was drew pine against cj stroud so like whatever you're gonna lose one way or another just you want to go out on your shield or not and um so i they're, they're just there are too many variables for me to try to solve at this point in terms of a spreader total with with uh where things are at but uh again similar to my thoughts on on florida state and in Clemson, you can't ask for more as a fan. Just must see, uh, you know, one of the few must see games uh, coming up right now. But I just think I have more questions than answers about both teams. And as much as I want to have a strong take on a big game like this, I just I don't feel comfortable speculating relative to a lot of the rest of the card. Where I feel I don't feel like I have to do that as much. Yeah, it was under or nothing for me here. I've noticed early in the week, like it hits 55 key number and it gets kind of bet right back down to like 54 and a half ish. So maybe that is like the resistance point is 55. I, I lean towards that just from my notes. I mean, Ohio state below average uh, and pace Notre Dame outside the top 20 in place per minute. I mean, the, both teams not really in, in much of a rush this season, Notre Dame outside the top 100 and pass rate. Again, like you said, that's, 
competition level at points, but I do think Ohio State, their defensive line, I think can win, but I don't think Ryan Day is going to open up the playbook much. I think Ryan Day is going to play this close to the to the vest. I don't like Kyle McCord either. I, I haven't seen much that really makes me think that this guy is really going to lead Ohio State back to the college football playoff. I This sets up for an under game, but like you said, there's a lot of variables that we don't know because we haven't seen Ohio State play real level of competition. My gut is, is that they're going to lean on the run game. They're going to try and kind of out-physical Notre Dame and then try and hit you know, a few big shots to kind of pull away and win something in the neighborhood of mid twenties, you know, something like 27, 20 mm-hmm. winning like that, that game state where Notre Dame, I don't think that that passing game is as potent. I think Sam Hartman's very good, but I don't think the receivers, like you said, they don't have a dude in that room. And I also think Jim Knowles defense, very stat against the run. And we saw it, it kind of be exposed against Michigan where J.J. McCarthy play action was just taking the top off the defense where, you know, Knowles was just sending the house. I don't want to say that Knowles are going to change his scheme, but I don't think Notre Dame has the capability to take the top off like Michigan did last year. So I think this sets up for under where a lot of punts, a lot of conservative play calling where, you know, we were talking about Clemson, Florida State, where neither coach wants to like fire the first shot across the, across the aisle these two coaches, I really do not think favorably to either of them. I don't think either of them are risk takers. I think that this is like as conservative of a game as you could see. And that's why I think under maybe look, maybe it's first half under. I don't even know what that that'd be priced at right now, but maybe it's first half under and you just you let, you know, the likes of Sawyer, Timolo, Hall on the Ohio State defensive line and just hope that Ryan Day calls a conservative game and that this game kind of just snails in the first half. And then you know, maybe it's a turnover in the second half kind of sets the two teams off on offense. Yeah. I think if I were, if I were going to respond to, you know, talking about both of the big games with similar totals, both this one and the Florida state game, if I were going to pick an under, I felt more comfortable with, it would be this one without question rather than the other one. I just think the, the potential for fireworks are significantly greater in the other one, like the path to those happening. I think that, I mean, again, I don't think unders like, oh, this is a lock. I mean, I haven't, I haven't played it, but I just, I think if you're, if you're, you know, running a um, kind of like they run those hurricane models, the spaghetti models, if you're just running out all of the paths of how this game could go, I think more often than not, I agree with you. It's going to be more conservative and just more, you know, a feel it out type fight where, uh, and I do think a lot of that has to do with the, the personas of both coaches where it's like, there's no, there's no value in going nuts, like doing a Lane Kiffin and going for four thought, you know, like it just, yeah. that's not, that's not either of these guys. The, the chaos, like observations when you like simulate this game, however many times, like there's much more with like club Nick picks, Travis, big plays or turnovers. Yeah. This one, I just think both coaches are going to keep this really close to the vest. I think Notre Dame should let Hartman cook, but they don't want to, nor do they have the dudes on the outside. And I don't think Ohio State really trusts McCord all that much yeah. to really let loose. Um, just one other note before we move on. I mean, Notre Dame secondary last year, it did, you know, it was week one. I know it's two separate things, but that secondary is pretty much intact from last year. And they did keep a lid on the Ohio State offense that I think we could completely agree. It's much better. It was much better last year, the offense with CJ Shroud there than it is right now with Kyle McCord. Um, Mike linebacker Bertan, he missed last week for Notre Dame. He's expected to be back. So I think, you know, Notre Dame, I think feels confident they could limit 
Ohio State's offense. And they just, you know, I think both teams are comfortable getting to the mid-20s to win this one. And that's why I kind of lean towards the under. But, again, no play for me. Uh, We'll see how this goes later in the week. Uh, Two Pac-12 games before we kind of open up the board. UCLA-Utah. UCLA, I saw open in, like, the six-and-a-half range. This one now currently sitting with Utah as a – Four and a half point favorite. Circa has a four total of 51. Cam Rising has been practicing with no limitations. I think the plan has been for him to return in this game. UCLA offense looks pretty damn good now that Dante Moore has full control. Um, You know, UCLA smoked Utah last year in, you know, California. Now at Rice Eccles, a different animal. Franchise, any thoughts on this one? Any thoughts on, you know, Rising's availability possibly? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I kind of had this circled as the game where Rising was most likely to come back. Um, I don't think – I mean, Whittingham's an extremely intelligent coach. Like, I, I guess go, going back to, like, again, the, the Saban stuff that confuses me, why would he announce Milrow? Like, why? Why, why would yeah. you come out and publicly, like – is that really going to give him that much confidence? I mean, Saban surely can't be, you know, scared of Pee Wee calling in at, you know, Thursday night beers and brats and saying, Hey, Saban, who's coach? Like he's not scared of that backlash. So why give a competitive advantage to, to the other team? And anyway, moving on to this one, I don't, I think Whittingham is shrewd enough to not make an announcement. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. kind of all along, he's done this with rising several times. Like he's had rising out there where he's not playing. He's got him taking QB, you know, I mean, he's, He's he's a clever little fellow when it you know comes to this type of stuff where he's he really realizes like okay I could have a competitive advantage here because it is a significantly different offense uh, with with rising versus you know the 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 runner Johnson um, so I do think that rising comes back I agree with you that I think Dante Moore running the UCLA offense this is could be quite a machine if they get it going yeah. I think they probably will take some time to grow into the year I also agree with what you said regarding okay, a trip to Rice-Eccles, I mean, that's not that's not an easy place to go for anybody. Um, so I do think that that will be his first real taste of, of college football on the road. Um, I actually, I had this game um, circled as a potential overspot, um, and the reason being because a lot of times uh, as a total better, I'm looking for uh, what is a significant variable that has changed? And for me, you're looking at essentially half the season with Dante Moore at quarterback, really just sort of getting his feet wet for UCLA. So the numbers are a little bit skewed because you haven't had Dante Moore. And you essentially have had a Wildcat quarterback playing for Utah, uh, which kind of skews the numbers downward as well. So, um, you know, from a um, just high level theoretical standpoint, this is an overspot that I typically look to. Um, I did assume that the number was going to probably open around where it did and come down. So everything has kind of fallen like like I wanted. I had 51 written as my target number. It was floating around 52 and a half. I'm like, no, I'll leave it alone. It hit 51 yesterday. And for whatever reason, I still just paused a little bit. Um, just I don't know that I'm ever going to get the answer. Maybe if it comes out right before the game, the total is going to steam up, you know, if rising comes. Like, I don't know that yeah. I'm going to be able to have that level of dedication on a Saturday. Like I said, I'm a dad, I'm a dad and a husband. Like, it's just Saturdays can be tough. Um, but I, I would say that I have a pretty strong overlean at, at 51. Um, I can see how that would go sideways. Um, I mean, again, if we're just kind of playing out the string and, 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 and running the mental models here, I can see how, okay – First road start, true freshman, 
is rising back 100%? Does he, you know, get a knock, you know, and anything like that. But I just, I think there's going to be a little, I think at 51, assuming that it's rising going, I think this totals a little bit light uh, for me. I think it's probably closer to a mid fifties total um, with him in there, assuming that he's ready to go. And he's played so much football. I don't, not real concerned about the rust. I mean, he just, he just seems like one of those dudes. You just, you know, he could be in jeans and you call him down and say, you know, let's do it. And he's ready. Yeah, I agree with you. I wrote down, I mean, I bet some UCLA at open at six and a half because that number just seemed a bit like, what if rising doesn't play? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, you know, like they, he, we assume he's going to play because that's like kind of how we followed the story. But like, I guess there's a chance it's not. And I just grabbed kind of a, a six and a half, assuming it was going to move and I could reassess it later. I do think UCLA has paths even on the road to really test Utah. And you look at last year's Utah defense. We give them a lot of credit, and I do too. I love Utah. Bet them the past two years to win the Pac-12. I love this team. Their defense still graded out as like an average unit, but it just looks so much better because they're playing, you know, teams with the worst defenses, and their Pac and the Pac-12 just is full of crap defenses. Yeah. But you look at when UCLA played high-level offenses last year, and they lost forty-two to thirty-two to uh, UCLA. They let up forty plus to USC at home. They, I know the Oregon game, Bo Nix was a little banged up. We didn't know if he was going to play. He still passed for 300 yards on the road. So I think that UCLA is going to be able to move the ball even on the road. Win the game might be a different story, but I think UCLA could keep this competitive. Like you said, I mean, the offense, it seems like Chip Kelly might have a beat on how to take down this Utah defense. And you look at the Florida game, Florida had chances to take the top off that offense. They just didn't have an accurate passer. Maybe it's a reach to say I trust Dante more. I definitely trust him more than Graham Mertz. That's not saying much, but I think UCLA's offense averaging seven yards a carry with Moore's ability to find downfield shots like J. Michael Sertivan. I lean towards over. Again, I have the UCLA side in pocket, but I think both teams are going to be able to cruise into the mid-20s, assuming rising plays, because I will give the Utah offense a noted bump for that but I think that this Utah defense when it plays some of the more elite Pac-12 offenses it might be a little worse for wear and it might take rising a little bit that's why I kind of lean towards the UCLA side Mm -hmm. yeah that that makes total sense I actually I have a Utah um every year I have a Utah Pac-12 future so it's really only been until uh recent years that I've gotten paid off on those I've gotten close for for a decade but uh i'm uh, i finally enjoyed some fruit from that so every every year they're in auto i mean they're just they're undervalued in that in that market every year um so i haven't so i haven't bet it yet and my thought process was i was gonna wait for rising to be clear because i thought what if they lose the florida or baylor game i might actually get like some unnecessary you know yeah. boost in my direction still saying at six to one i haven't played it yet because i do kind of like ucl in this game i might just as like a just a donation back, just like keep it like just free roll, basically Utah yeah. again. I, I do think I, the Pac-12 is going to eat itself alive like it does every year. So yeah. I, I, mean, I think it's definitely. I, I think right now, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. I actually have a really good number on them, but uh, I, I don't know that I've seen a better team than Washington in the country, top to bottom um, to start, to start the season. So I just think that the Pac, the Pac-12 this year, I mean, it's super fun, you know, I mean, I think, a lot of us had an idea of like, this is going to be a really fun offensive conference, but like, it just is, 
I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's their swan song before they're breaking up and doing all this. And it's like, man, you gotta, you, you have to watch Pac-12 football this year, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any, if, if, uh, if UCLA would have hit seven, um, that would have been my buy number, uh, there as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it, and especially, I think, I think you touched on it, like Utah and some of these big games, it's not like it's, you know, 17, six type games. I mean, these, yeah. these things tend to turn into like, Hey, you can actually beat this defense. Um, you know, if you're, if you're willing to attack, you just, you, you, you got to attack it. Um, and I think, and I think that, um, more is capable of it in this environment. Does he hit him? Um, that, that becomes to me the, the, the question of side and total, obviously, in addition to, to rising, but I think it's going to be a great game. It's another game that I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching. Utah plus 750 right now to win the pack okay. 12. I think I'm like nine to one, something like that. Um, I don't know that I feel any better or any worse to this point than I did when I took it nine to one. But again, that's sort of a macro play for me. That's just yeah. every year I get enticed by that. I'm like, well, no one's going to be demonstrably better than them. And they have the coach where they can win any game, you know? Um, and again, they have the defense. They have a defense that knows how to tackle where yeah. I think UCLA has actually looked far better on defense. I had my questions about Lynn coming in as the DC, but they look far uh, granted. The competition isn't super high, but They've looked much more competent on defense, and obviously Chip Kelly, one of the best offensive play callers in the entire country. So, yeah, I think fireworks could be in store there, but I think a lot of, like you said, injury notes, and maybe that one just like misses the car, just like because it's a little too speculative. Yeah, I, I think that um, the the other thing that I will say about Utah, I mean, you look at the first three that they've played. You know, not a good Florida offense, a dreadful. Baylor offense and then an FCS team and so I mean I think that there's we still you know Utah I usually give their defense the benefit of the doubt I mean I think that's a safe that's a safe thing to make but I think on a game-to-game level there there are spots when when they can when they will play more of a shootout and this just to me feels like there's a culmination of factors that lead me to believe that there's going to be points there's you know a quantitative reason why I feel the totals a little bit lower but there's still I mean, those are two significant unknowns. Dante Moore, first road test in college football, and it does rising play. Like, so I think that I've actually been somewhat proud of myself that I've been disciplined enough to not do it, even when it hit my number. But I don't know. After we're talking about it, I mean, I I don't know. I'll I'll probably have it at some point. Will it be? I don't think at any point it's going to be like, hey, this is this is let's smash it. They're just yeah. But but I think I think there's a little value there for sure. Uh, next Pac-12 game. Uh, Oregon State traveling to Pullman to play Washington State. Oregon State sitting like a juicy two and a half, hitting three now. Total 56. Franchise, I think we're going to be on opposite sides here. Way different numbers, though. But I laid some Oregon State yesterday at like minus 130-ish just to win the game. I personally think that Wazoo, better than expected, I'd say, but – Shouldn't have beaten Wisconsin, in my opinion. Wisco loses the turnover turnover battle, three nothing. They kind of get negative game scripted and just kind of can't stay out of their own way. Playing Oregon State team, team kind of built not to make mistakes. They could really run the ball well, stay ahead of the chains. Washington State ninety second in tackles for loss, 69th in line yards. Oregon State top twenty in line yards, top ten in yards per carry. I mean, Martinez is an absolute freak. DJU doing enough, you know, with the play action, finding targets downfield. I, I just think Oregon State, this defensive front, going to be able to get to Ward. I don't really rate this Washington. I think Washington State's going to be forcing the passing downs way too much for Ward, and turnovers are going to happen from there. 
I think Oregon State, I feel like they could, you know, claw out a physical win here and kind of outmuscle Wazoo. How do you see this one? Yeah, and so to to follow up because uh, on on what you said as being opposite sides, I shared with you I took the early six and a half. Uh, yeah, which is way different, <laughs> right? And and to hopefully this will uh, make you feel better. I came back and laid the two and a half uh, with okay. Oregon State, so I I did close the loop on that. Um, to me, it was purely a numbers play. Uh, I expected two and a half, and I got a six and a half, and so I took it in the pre market is what I call it. Um, with the expectation that the number was probably going to come where I was. So my my expectation all along was to close the loop on this one and hope that I get a close football game that that falls well for me. So I don't disagree with with anything that you shared. The one thing that was really bizarre to me about that Wisconsin game, and I know you probably watched it in more detail uh, than, than I did, but I mean, Wazoo ran what I call the prevent offense in the second half. It yeah. was just like, I mean, that was a dangerous game to play. I mean, they they just shut it down. Um, had a lot of offensive success, throwing the ball well in the first half. And then it feels like they were just pretty much trying to have the clock hit zeros for the second half. And um, which was a totally different approach. I mean, I get it was a much more competitive game, but you look at the way the Wazoo Colorado State game played out where it's nuts in the second half. Uh, it, it, it was, it was a bit surprising. I actually had an, uh, I, I had Wazoo and an over ticket there. So I won one, didn't win the other in that Wisconsin game, but it was like, I was shocked. I thought I was good to go on that over, uh, based on how the first half played out. I don't even recall the precise score, but, um, they just kind of shut things down. So I still think there's an element from a coaching standpoint. I think they're still kind of figuring things out, them having a, a little bit of a newer coach. I mean, I think Jonathan, Jonathan Smith for Oregon State, I think he's one of the more underrated, solid coaches and just a good team builder. I mean, this is just a mm-hmm. solid, solid football football team. Um, I do think that Pullman's a difficult place to play. Sometimes the weather uh, impacts that, but Corvallis has pretty much the same weather. Um, so I don't think that's going to be a factor. And probably this early in the year, weather will be fine anyway. But um, yeah, I think, I think that um, – I would say from a macro standpoint, Washington State has been uh, undervalued uh, to begin the year. And in my opinion, I've, I've, I've gone on them a couple times. Um, I just haven't agreed um, with, with the way that they've been priced. And part of that could be, I think, Wisconsin is very overvalued. Uh, so that kind of was a perfect storm there um, on that one where I actually thought Washington State should have been favored, you know, whether that would actually make sense from a power rating. Standpoint. I don't care. I don't really make power ratings, but I'm like, I think Washington state should win this game at home. And they did, but um, yeah, I, I like both of these teams. I mean, these are both by teams for me. I think that Washington state is just the, the way, the way they, the way they play, things can go bad. They, it, it can get real turnovery. Whereas I think you kind of get a more methodical, I mean, Oregon state to me almost sort of reminds me of some of like the old school Utah teams where it's yeah. just like, man, we're just solid and doing what we're doing. If you knock us way off script and we're not smart with the football, okay, maybe we don't have the firepower to, to get there. But I think that if they play a sound fundamental game, I do think they're, they're easier to trust, even if it's on the road and what can be a difficult place to play. But um, yeah, at, at, at two and a half, I, I'm with you. I would, I would definitely, I did, and and would recommend the Oregon State side uh, as well. Yeah, Washington State, I think, has a little bit more variance to it. I think Ward, if you get good Cam Ward, he could win you a game. You get bad Cam Ward, I mean, this game could get way sideways. And it just feels like if Oregon State's going to get out to an early lead and is going to be able to maybe kind of out-muscle Washington State, I just I don't know if I see like a comeback in the cards for Wazoo at home. I just think Oregon State could go on these six, seven-minute drives where it's – 
third and one, and then DJU just sneaks over first down, another three minutes off the clock. So I think Oregon State, to me, at this number, I think pretty fair once it hits three. But I think, you know, Oregon State to just win this game, I, I think makes a lot of sense, just given the state of both teams and what we've seen for them so far this year. Uh, before we get out of your franchise, I have a few more games I want to run through. And then obviously if you have any other ones, uh, first one I played this week was the Wisconsin Purdue over 53 and a half Boilermakers. They shut down Virginia tech in a rainy game. They also got gashed by Fresno state and Syracuse. I think this Wisconsin offense, it started out slow in games, averaging only like 10 points per game in the first half. But it's picked up in the second half when Phil Longo realizes we got to establish the run a little bit more. We got to get Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi going more. Wisco playing at a top 50 pace in terms of plays per minute as well. So I think you're going to see Wisconsin put the pressure on Purdue. But Wisconsin's defense, huge. I'm more concerned about the defense than the offense. Out to the top 100 in success rate on defense, Graham Harrell air raid offense. I think Hudson Card's going to be able to move the ball here. Big 10 opener. I just, I mean, Wisconsin, their game against Georgia Southern should have flown over, if not for, like you said, six turnovers forced. I don't know if you're going to see that from Purdue and Hudson Card. I think you're going to see both teams really push into the mid to high 20s, you know, 30s even. I think a fun one on Friday night, I, I took the over there. Yeah, I, I took that as well. I think I've got 53 and a half and 54 and a half or, or somewhere somewhere around those numbers. So I'm right there with you. Um, I, I, I agree with everything that you said. I am not impressed at all with, with Wisconsin's um, defense i think that they it makes sense that they're a team that's gonna their offense is gonna grow into the year Mm -hmm. um again they 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 they're probably not i mean you want to talk about an identity shift you know this is a hundred years of football being reversed in one year you know and so um i i i I mean that's like that's a serious thing i mean a lot of these guys grew up watching the badgers and they wanted to go and win 17-6 and run for 300 and give up 95 you know i mean this is this is it's it's a huge fundamental shift in terms of what they're wanting to do. So I do think offensively they're going to grow into it. I think the defense is really bad. Um, I think Purdue was a bit. Uh, I think they're really slow um, in the in the back end. Um, so I do think that Wisconsin does have talented receivers. Um, Mordecai's yes. in a little hit or miss. Um, I don't think w- uh, Purdue has good team speed in the back. Um, so going against comparable athletes, I think that's a battle that Wisconsin's going to win. And um, you know, I think that Purdue was a little bit unfortunate last week to only get 20 on the board against Syracuse. I had the um, I had the over there on some good numbers and got there and it finished 35-20, but it's, you took it late and may not have gotten there. But um, I, I think Purdue, you know, I think they had like four turnovers in the in the first half, if, if memory serves on on that one, where um, I, I, I actually like their offense more than I thought I was going to like it. I actually thought they were going to be sort of a defense first uh, team. And and they're they're they have been a team where I've I've reversed course where I was um, not excited about the offense and excited about the defense and now I feel the total inverse after three games so I'm willing to about face on that one so I'm 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 with you there I think that's going to be especially that number just sitting fifty three and a half that's 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 too li- I I think that's light as well yeah Wisco to me is an over team yeah and I mean uh, like you said Purdue I had Purdue in the game probably just bad bet but I think you know especially. They couldn't stop Schrader on those quarterback keepers. I think he had like two touchdown runs from like way out. Also, Mordecai's shown that he's not afraid to take off either. Yeah. Um, I think when Purdue has played competent offenses, you've seen both teams push into the 30s, both in West Lafayette, which has been kind of a house of horrors for some teams to go play. So yeah. this isn't the same Purdue defense that's been or Purdue team construction. Right. 
Another over I played, Georgia Tech Wake over. Uh, kind of a similar look as the Ole Miss one. This number's come down since I bet it, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's down to 59 because there's rain in the forecast. I don't really care all that much, uh, yeah. as long as it's not a hurricane, which it doesn't seem like it's going to be. Um, I, I ended up doing a little too much with, like, I was talking to you about it, like the Ole Miss middle, and I ended up kind of, you know, ended up eating on it because Georgia Tech blew the cover, but whatever, we live and we learn. Um, I just think this number flies over. I think Georgia Tech, their offense with Buster Faulkner is looking real sharp in my opinion. But the defense definitely leaving a lot to be desired. And I think Wake, the offense, you know, it had two defensive scores allowed or allowed two defense scores against Old Dominion. But Wake, still a pass-happy offense. I think that they're going to cook against Georgia Tech, whose defense, you know, couldn't stop Louisville, couldn't stop Ole Miss. I put Wake probably a touch below both of those, but still that's on the road. I think Wake could get at least four touchdowns and maybe five. Um, I just think that this game is a recipe for points on both sides. Georgia Tech's offensive lines also looked real good in my opinion. Only three sacks allowed through three games against two pretty sturdy defenses in Louisville and Ole Miss. So I think points galore here. I also think Georgia Tech's way live in this game. This team is, in my opinion, a bet on team for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I I, I think that um, the – one of the things that uh, I found out why uh, Wake struggled, I missed this news b- before the game, why I think they struggled a little bit on offense. They had two two offensive linemen out and a tight end, and I think it took them a little bit of time to get their footing uh, on offense as a result. Um, and then they, they really just kind of got carved up through big plays. I think both of those teams are extremely susceptible to long passing plays. I think that both teams have shown a proficiency to do that. So I do think that there are some elements where, you know, big plays happen when you expect them or don't expect them in a game where I feel like, okay, there's a proven pattern of both teams being able to throw them and allow them, um, in what should be a pretty good, uh, highly paced game. Uh, I would be a little concerned about tech at the number. Um, I think at the current number. Yeah. It got it, smacked yesterday. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, I, I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I trust wake, I think a little bit more, um, you know, it was really interesting. They flipped the skip. I, I, I wrote this up on, on, on my website when I, when I wrote up their game, uh, they really buckled down on defense in the second half. So in the second half, old dominion had six possessions, five of them ended in no yards or negative yards. They only had positive yardage on uh, one of their drives and they, only allowed 23 yards on six possessions. So I don't think that's a true indicator of who the yeah. weight defense is by any means. I mean, that's needs to be very much opponent adjusted, but I mean, the fact they gave up, I think it was like 277 in the first half yardage and then 23 in the second half. You're like, wow, that's, I mean, credit to Dave Claus. That's a heck of an adjustment. And old dominion usually beats an ACC team every year in recent years. So um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, um, I haven't played anything on that one, but I, there's a lot of elements in place and and that would be that would be a a game from a prop standpoint i'll be uh, i'll be having some look at some uh assuming the forecast is okay a look at some of the um potential uh passing overs for sure uh i got two more okay i laid 17 with texas state okay. uh the bobcats i know nevada they they covered like a four touchdown spread against kansas uh there weren't that many possessions in that game i i think kansas had like such a big number on the road like weird spot. Uh, If you look at the box score though, Kansas had a 59% success rate, which was like 99th percentile across games this year and last year. So like, I know Kansas only won by seven, but like they absolutely carved up and like threw for over 10 yards per drop back. So 
you look at Texas State, who's been a monster this year, uh, beat Baylor. They were competitive against UTSA. They lose ultimately a close one. And then they put up 70 plus on an FCS Jackson State. Nevada's terrible. I just, I don't see this offense keeping up. They're running at a higher rate, 55 to 45 run pass. And I think Texas State's defense is very, very strong on the defensive line compared to any other spot on the defense. So I think Nevada's going to be behind the sticks. I think this Texas State team is legitimately good. Not going to say like they're great or anything, but I think that they're legit good. I think G.J. Kinney has this offense like hunting for points. Like they want to score 40, score 50. I mean, they literally just put up 70. Um, Top 20 in EPA per play on offense. Top 25 in EPA per rush on defense. I think Texas State is just going to wipe the floor clean with Nevada. I I think they win by three scores easy. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. That's not a game that I've looked at, but I think that everything you laid out is compelling. Yeah. And then last one, Cincinnati. I uh, wanted to fade them. I didn't get there with Miami, Ohio. The number kind of went through 17. And I missed it. I want to bet against this Oklahoma team though. I'm ready after uh, I lost on SMU uh, catching points against Oklahoma. I watched that entire game. Didn't think Oklahoma should have covered. Um, they end up just covering uh, like all the early numbers. Cincinnati though, look at what they've put on paper this year. They blow out an FCS phone. They shut down Pitt and kind of outplay them. I know Jerkovich it might really be over for him. And they lose to Miami of Ohio in overtime, but outgame them out like box score, clear lean towards Cincinnati. They lose in overtime. Now if you're a big 12 opener at home noon start, and I just don't see with Oklahoma at all. I mean, who have they played outside of SMU in a game that if you look at the box score, they probably shouldn't have won by three scores. It was a far more competitive game. SMU, like a, 25% third down conversion percentage. It just, they couldn't keep drive sustained Cincinnati running the ball at a really, really high rate. They are 124th in pass rate this year, running dog Satterfield and Emory Jones seem to be clicking pretty well. I think this Oklahoma team is completely untested. I'll take Cincinnati at over two scores. I, I got plus 15 on this one. I, I think since the defensive line looks sharp, I don't really think Oklahoma deserves this rating. In my opinion, I got, I got to pay to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I actually had Cincinnati circled before the week. Uh, that was before they lost to Miami, Ohio. So when I saw that one and I was like, oh, and then I took a deeper dive at it. And I think it was six red zone possessions and nine points is what they came yeah. away with. And so, I mean, that's just that's a that's a that's a fluky type thing. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I haven't played it yet because I still. I feel pretty. Con- I mean, I think Oklahoma's going to probably still get some money. Um, I've seen it bounce 14 and a half. Is it 14 and a half right now? Anywhere? 14 and a half and circa is 15. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I will probably get involved there. I'm getting a little bit uh, maybe greedy and trying to see if we can't, you know, find a 17 before it pops. So part of it for me to toot my own horn here, I believe that I am the only man in America, truly, truly the only man in America that cashed uh, SMU uh, against Oklahoma because it popped. It wasn't like, me. So two guys talking. I'm one that did it. It, it, well, that it, did. It, it. it literally, it popped for 10 seconds, 18 at Circa. My guy hit it there and literally that it never, it never touched 18 again. So I think honestly, for the first time in my experience doing this, I'm the one man in America <laughs> that, that found the number that didn't buy it to cash it. So I, uh, I take the small victories with that. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 looking for Cincinnati here too. Uh, I I agree with everything uh, you said. I'm still not fully bought in on Oklahoma, so I'm going to be joining you. Uh, I believe there at some point. I'm just going to kind of wait and see where it settles. Yeah, and then I'm all tapped out. 
you okay. have any other any other looks, any other prop notes, anything you want to share with the listeners before you get out of here? Because you've been a a loyal uh, uh, guest here. I've had you on for longer than I probably said I would, but uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, sure thing. Yeah, I'll, I'm. Uh, I, I just pulled up DraftKings, so I'm going to go off this and maybe just kind of uh, quick hit a few of them. Another Friday night game. Um, I. This isn't like a super, super strong uh, opinion, but it's Friday night. We're going to be watching the games. I took um, North Carolina State, Virginia over at 45 and a half. It's up to 46 and a half, 47, it looks like now. Um, Virginia would be another one of those teams that I talked about where I did a total flip with them with Purdue, uh, where I actually thought pretty highly of their defense coming into the season and didn't think much of their offense. Uh, And that's been the total inverse uh, of the way things have played out. Um, kind of going on a theme that we've touched on as well with uh, North Carolina State. I think they're a team that um, I probably underrated their losses at the pass catching room. I had a lot of sharp friends telling me, dude, you're 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 glossing over this and you shouldn't. Um, I do think this is a team that's going to play better offense. You've got Brennan Armstrong going against his old team. I'm sure he wants to hang a number here. Um, I think that um, that game with a with a total, you know, uh, mid to high 40s, I think that one has some potential to get into the the, the, the low 50s um, at a minimum. So that would be one Friday night. If that's a 47 there, we'll just use that number if that works. Um, I like it there. Not a huge, huge opinion there. Um, let's see. I kind of I, I took Army getting 14 at Syracuse. Also took the over 46 and a half. It's now 13 and a half and 50. Um, I think Army's pretty live here again. I took them uh, at a really early rogue number against UTSA, and they got the outright. Um, It it took sort of a perfect game for them to get there. I mean, it was a sort of a flawless game for them to do what they did. Um, But I think think they're going to be pretty live there. Um, One thing to note is that Rocky Long is the defensive coordinator at Syracuse now, who is known as like the uh, godfather option killer back in the day at San Diego State. but something I looked at when he went to New Mexico and, uh, you know, had a more significant disadvantage in talent, which is kind of how, um, you know, I, 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 I think there's something to be said for a team that sees the option all the time. You have to have the scheme and you have to have familiarity with it, where he actually really didn't stop the option at all, all that well. I think they gave up 28, 35 and 38, uh, which I guess would, would not be as, um, you know, uh, would not be consistent with what he did at San Diego state, but I think that there's going to be an opportunity for points in that game. I think Syracuse's offense is really humming indoor fast track, yeah. even at 50. I think that there's still some value uh, on the over there. And I just, I, I think army could cause some problems uh, for them. I think that, that especially this, you know, we talked a lot about, okay, are these going to be hybrid option teams? Are they really going to change? Well, army's legitimately changed. I actually think they have. Thrown- I don't. I don't know if I trust uh, Daily. Daily. Yeah, I don't know if I trust him throwing the ball though. So, so here's the thing. I think, and maybe this is an indictment more on the other guys. I think he's actually the best all around quarterback for a service academy this year because he's just that a more might be true. because he's a more proficient passer than um, you know Larry or whatever. I haven't seen much from him throwing it, and then Lavatai or whatever Navy has going on. But I mean, look, look here a little bit. We were all ready to, myself included, ready to bury these service academies. There have been some pretty good offensive performances for some of these academies um, where it seems like they may be out. Yeah, they they may be figuring out a little bit. So I'm just, I'm partial to Mm -hmm. a big big dog with a service academy. I mean, they've shown it time and time again. 
Um, so at 13 and a half, I think that'll bump 14. See if you can get a 14 on Army. It looks like it's juice 13 and a half. And still at 50, I'm good with an over there. Uh, let's see, Rice, South Florida. I actually bet the over. It's 55 and a half right now. Uh, I think that number got held down a little bit because South Florida had a good defensive performance. Uh, I bet Rice. You did, yeah. I and, and I, I I hear that as well. And I know you. Rice might be good. Yeah, Rice might be like legit. Like that, the defensive line performance against Texas kind of threw me on the. All right, let's be careful with Texas going to Alabama. I think they had like eight, nine tackles for loss. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then Texas goes and does that to Alabama. And now it kind of changed my tune, like Rice. And then they go up 28 nothing against Houston, which that's a whole different story. But um, maybe Rice is pretty good here. And I think South Florida, they're Brown, who I like, really poor passer. And I think that ends up costing them. Yeah, I, I I think that that would be the side that, that I would lean uh, as well. And I have a, a South Florida uh, regular season overwind ticket. So I need this one for South Florida. So I hope you're wrong uh, uh, on, on that. Or or if they lose, I hope you cover at least. But I, I bet the over on that one because I actually – I think both of these teams are over teams. I think the number kind of got bet down a little bit because of the way the Alabama game played out. But I think these mm. are both uh, open teams. I think it's going to be played with pace. Um, I, I, I think that it's going to be something where that one could be a little bit pointsy, not a huge one there, um, but something that I like. Let's see here. Uh, a couple more and then I'll shut up. Uh, Miami uh, laying 23 and a half at Temple. Uh, most people listening probably don't care about my history or my proclivities or anything, but it is rare for me to um, lay chalk like this, especially on the road. Um, I just think this is a Miami team that's actually really good right now. And I think that they're just set up. I don't, I haven't seen anything at all from the Temple offense that leads me to believe they're going to be able to do anything offensively against them. And um, just seeing they have a real lack of speed in the secondary. Um, whereas if Miami can get some playmakers the ball in space, I think they're going to hang a big number. I don't think it's a look ahead game. They play into a buy. So I think that it's going to be something that kind of is another recipe for. Um, uh, uh, a nice performance from them. I'll do one more and then I'll just shut it down. Uh, I'm you going. Go back, you want? Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm going. Um. I'm going back to Boston College. I played them uh, plus twenty eight in the Red Bandana game uh, last week. They're a fourteen point dog at Louisville. Um, I think this is a high variance game because Boston College has some ugly, uh, two ugly games on their resume, and then a really terrific game, even though it was a little bit weird, but. Um, I think the quarterback switch, as you alluded to in the beginning of the show with Castellanos, I mean, this this dude can play a little bit, you know. I mean, I think he was he joined Johnny Manziel in terms of a power five quarterback that threw for 300 and ran for over 95. There was only like five guys in the database that had ever done that against the top five team. When you consider that was his second ever start that Castellanos did this. There's a chance that Boston College is who we thought they were at the beginning of the season and not very good. I think that there's probably a higher chance that Louisville is really fool's gold. Um, I have not been impressed at all with Louisville um, to to this point. And so I just think he really transforms this offense. And, and you touched on it earlier. His his passing, yeah, you're gonna get some, you know, you're gonna get some good and bad, but he's a lot more capable than he surely was being talked about before last game. Uh, against Florida State I mean I think he I mean 300 yards on Florida State's 300 yards on Florida State and um, 
I think they're pretty live in that game against Louisville. I haven't seen anything at all from Louisville that leads me to believe that, especially if they're not getting huge chunk plays on offense, I don't think this is a very good offense. Um, so I think Boston College is live there. Um, yeah, I was between that and the over on BC. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to join you on the BC train, though, because I really I mean, I really did like that uh, how Castellanos played the the – penalties though yeah. what they have like 19 penalties against fsu that really just set them so far back but i mean castellanos there's plenty of room for him to throw underneath and the bc receivers are making plays louisville i mean they carve out a 21 14 win at home against iu last week i wasn't super impressed with that one i think that you know you're you're looking at a louisville team that i wasn't high on their offense coming into the year and they're at NC State short week next week. Like maybe they're like, maybe this is it for BC. Could end up looking a little silly just with like Halfley. Maybe like his time is up there. But I, I agree with you on taking two touchdowns. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't see the, I, if, if I'm, if I'm removing preseason expectation, if I'm just fully moving that and I'm looking at Boston College since they made the change to Castellanos, like in particular on the, on the offense. And the other thing that I think that is going to give Boston college trouble. And we saw it against Holy cross. Most people probably didn't see it, but I saw it. I mean, <laughs> a mobile quarterback may give them issues. Well, that's not plumber. You know, I, I think that there, yeah. sometimes there's teams that just struggle with a mobile quarterback. Well, you don't have to worry about that here. And I mean, I, I really think that thrash is explosive. I really think that um, Jawar Jordan is explosive. Um, but if they're not cranking out long ones, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I would lean towards you as well on the over. I actually think if I was going to go in over, I may even look for a Boston College team total over because I think that they're yeah. going to score uh, disproportionate to what the level of expectation is going to be. Um, normally, I would give more totals, but a lot of my totals get kind of knocked around early in the week. And so... We're talking two different things here. Let me see if I can give a give a total to the people here. All right, here's one. Um, Kent State at Fresno State, uh, over 50 and a half. Uh, I'm sure that everyone will um, be watching that late at night and uh, not any of the other games that we have on. Um, Kent State would be another team that I think, you know, they lost everybody. Um, mm -hmm. I still think they're wanting to play um, somewhat of an aggressive style, fast-paced offense. Um, I think that they are a team that is going to grow into the season on offense, and we're going to see them look better uh, in MAC play. Um, I think that they are, like most MAC teams, really going to struggle with the team speed um, that Fresno has. I mean, when I see Purdue can't stay within five yards of the Fresno receivers, I don't have a lot of confidence in um, Kent State being able to do that. But I actually think that the number, uh, it's 27 and a half. Now, I actually played a 28 with Kent State uh, as well. I actually think they're going to be a little bit live. I mean, that's that number's not too dissimilar if memory served. No, I take it back. It was 38 at Arkansas. But I, I played them plus 38 at Arkansas, and they played a um, relatively tight game with the, with the Hogs and stayed well within the number. Um, so I think the over 50 and a half there, I just think that both teams are going to be reliant on offense. I think there's going to be a major – uh, deficiency in Kent State being able to run with with Fresno and um, I think that Fresno's defensive performance against Arizona State was much more an indictment on uh, Arizona State's offense than it was that that Fresno State has figured out uh, the defensive side of the ball so I still have some questions there as well yeah I mean Fresno allowed you know 35 to Purdue that was a crazy back and forth game and then almost they got taken to the test with against Eastern Washington allowing 31 points so yeah. um, again I think 
the first two weeks are a little bit more that more indicative of what this team is then 29 nothing against Arizona State who was starting me at quarterback yeah. and was down like four offensive linemen it's uh pretty grim there uh in Tempe for Kenny Dillingham so I I think for sure uh franchise any other thoughts heading into week four loaded slate we definitely hit on a lot um and I appreciate you being so gracious with your time no I think I think we covered uh we covered a lot I mean I think that Knowing you and I, we probably could have covered every game and made this a twelve-hour <laughs> thing. Uh, I don't think that uh, would. That's off-season. I'm yeah. having you on one of the preseason pods. Okay. We're gonna go deep cut. We'll, okay. we'll go. We'll go heavy. Yeah, that, that that sounds good. No, I don't. I don't think I have any anything else. I um, like I said, I've really enjoyed your show. Getting a chance to connect with you a little bit more. Appreciate your thoughts and appreciate you um, uh, being willing to have me on. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's a um, it's a good week for both of us. I know there's gonna be a lot of good football. Hopefully it's a good uh, bankroll weekend as well. Hopefully, hopefully. I got to, I got to turn this around. Let's go back and hit on my best bets. I gave out Wisco Purdue over 53 and a half for Friday night. Georgia Tech Wake over 60 and a half. You could get better than that, but I'm going to grade what I bet. Um, Ole Miss Alabama under 57 as of is widely available. Texas State minus 17, Oregon State minus 140 which is still available at FanDuel as I see it right now. Boston College, plus 14, also a bet. And Cincinnati, plus 14 and a half. And there are your best bets for college football week three on the early read, early week show. Franchise, again, thank you so much for coming on. You guys should check out his threads, brandonchicken.com. I've been reading his threads for years. Really has helped me sharpen my tools as a college football handicapper. And you can follow him on Twitter. Tweets out a bunch of prop plays. Later in the week, really like a plethora of information, really has everything you need there. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at FranchiseKF. Make sure you're liking, subscribing to the show if you're enjoying. You can check out all my plays from the show on the Early Read Google Sheet, which is in the pod description below, as well as my bet stamp, at RW33. Shout out to our sponsor, Profit Exchange. We'll see you Thursday for our Thursday Best Bets show.